Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, today uh, we're, I'm preaching from the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to try and get us done in, well, I will get us done. I got 30 minutes. What time have I got right now? 10, 10.30 you're going to be eating. This is so exciting. I'm I, so thankful for our worship team and uh, for our people. Guys, uh, just get ready for a, a feast, as we've already said. But today we're starting the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in it till probably mid-February. And uh, there's just so much in this book that we're going to be going through that is awesome. I'm going to give you a couple skip the rock across moments today. We're going to, I'm doing the kind of the intro sermon, and now I'm going to do a look at a portion of chapter 1. That's what we're doing today. So firstly, when we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to notice the amazing person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and how he is superior to any other claim of how to be right with God. You're going to see that as we step through the, old, uh, through the Bible and the book of Hebrews. Really, we're going to focus on particularly uh, the old covenant that we, we mankind used to be under, in particular the, the Jewish people used to be under, and all the works that they had to do to try to be right with God. But we're going to learn that Jesus is superior to all of those things. Secondly, we're going to learn how Jesus is calling people who are placing their faith in Him to continue to trust Him even when things get hard. And we're going to explain that in a few, in, throughout this book. This really, this thread of faith you're going to see woven throughout the book of Hebrews. And, and thirdly, Jesus is going to tell us uh, throughout the book of Hebrews that we're going to be challenged in our faith because the world is pushing on us to move away from trusting in Christ. And, and, and that becomes so clear. There's five warnings in the book of Hebrews, which we'll, we'll get into as we go through the book. First morning we're going to see is in chapter 2 to 4, and that's drifting from the Word, chapter 2, that people begin to drift from the Word of God. You know, my observation today, church, is that there's never been a greater measure of availability for people to study God's Word, and yet so few people do, even believers. Well, mostly believers, because it's us that want to tap into it. That drifting turns to doubting the Word, and we can get a hard heart, and then dullness toward the Word that can make us sluggish, then despising the Word, which makes us willful, and then defying the Word, which is refusing to hear. Remember, this book is written to believers. Theologian Warren Wearsby summarizes the thoughts I just said in the following quote. I'm going to read it to you. It'll come up on your screen. If we do not listen to God's Word and really hear it, we will start to drift. Neglect always leads to drifting. As we drift from the Word, we start to doubt the Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If our hearts are hardened, it leads to spiritual sluggishness and produces a dullness toward the Word. We become dull of hearing and lazy listeners. This leads us to a despiteful attitude toward the Word to the extent that we willfully start to disobey God. So the Word of God becomes critical and key in us growing and maturing and, and getting closer to God. 
You know, these are stern warnings, but they help us to discern what's going on in this world today. Amen? So thank God He's given us His Word so that we might be anchored to a hope that is well beyond this world. Well, who is the author of the book of Hebrews? This has been debated for many, many years because it's not signed. It's not, the author never told us who he was. I'm not going to get into all the debates. I studied them and I'm like, well, I mean, there's so many people that it could be, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, what we need to understand, it was likely someone who was a Jewish Christian who had a deep understanding of the Old Testament religious system. And as we go through the book of Hebrews, it's going to be like, what is he talking about here? Because he's going to go through the, the rituals of the Old Testament. He's going, to go through, uh, he's going to go through the priesthoods. He's going to go through the sacrifices. And we're going to see throughout all that, that Jesus Christ is superior to the old systems that were laid out in this world. And the recipients, well, the clue is in the title of the book, the Hebrews. And so, though it is written to Jewish Christians, I'm telling you right now, it has something to say to every Christian around the world and throughout the ages. See, the Jewish people who would now turn to the new covenant of trusting in Christ and so this incredible message is given to all of us believers, though they were the first ones to come. And so that what was happening is this plan of salvation laid out in the New Testament. Now, you've got to remember, at the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, the, the New Testament was not codified. In other words, it was not together. It's not like you and I can go and pick up a New Testament. The Old Testament was codified. They had those books of the Bible. Now they were gaining fragments of the New Testament, maybe pieces of the gospel or one of, one of the complete gospels or different uh, readings and teachings of the apostles were being copied and taught in all the churches. And so that was just starting to grow this New Testament understanding. And the last thing I want to talk about in this way is what year was it written? Most scholars believe 80, 65 to 69. This is significant because um, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple of God, which was the, the solidifying gathering place for Jewish people, the temple and the temple systems, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, all those things, it hadn't been destroyed yet. And so the author of Hebrews is appealing to a group of people who are being pushed back into tr trusting in the Old Testament way of being right with God rather than the New Covenant way of being right with God. And this persecution was not light, you guys. You need to understand the persecution was, also, was coming from other Jews who were trying to compel people back into the religious systems of the Old Testament, but the persecution was also now growing from the Roman uh, uh, rulers. So you have a persecution within the culture of the Jewish people and a persecution now of pressuring people from without. So Hebrews chapter 10, we'll get there. It's not going to come up on your screen, but when we read there, we're going to find out. You know, he says, remember the early days after you received the light, you endured great conflict full of suffering. Some of you were publicly exposed to insight and per, uh, insult and persecution. Others that stood by your side were also so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, joyfully accepting the confiscation of your property because you knew you had a better and lasting possession. Yeah. Can you imagine? 
people losing their businesses, people losing their homes because they had turned to Jesus Christ. Man, be thankful you live in Canada. Amen? Though we have to pray for that freedom and that right to remain in this nation. I don't know about you, but every time I go to a hockey game or wherever I go to and they sing the national anthem, I am making that my prayer. God, keep our land glorious and free. Amen? Okay, so we're seeing this. The book of Hebrews then has to be understood through this lens. Are you guys following me? If you don't get this, the context of how Hebrews was written and why Hebrews was written, written, so there's this great persecution happening. People in the droves are turning back away from Jesus and turning back to the Old Testament system. So the book of Hebrews is like this stern warning of why that is foolish to do. Okay? It's basically compelling people saying, guys, Jesus Christ is supreme over all of it. And if you turn away from him, you are letting go of your salvation. And so that's the context that we're looking at as we go through this book. So that was the introduction. Nine minutes. I've got 21 minutes left. Hallelujah. Let's pray and see if we can get through it. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I pray, Spirit of Christ, now help us to understand the deep truths, even in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, in Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews 1, I'm just going to read the first five verses, four verses, here we go. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as his name he inherited is superior to theirs." First thing I want you to see in this text, guys, is that Jesus brings the final word. That's what Hebrews 1 told us. His son in the past, he spoke to us through his ancestors in various ways, in many ways, but now he speaks through his son. The word various ways simply means in pieces. So in the Old Testament, God was kind of bringing himself into clarity It's like looking through a camera lens and it's out of focus. Are you following me? And the Old Testament, it's like it's beginning to focus. You're beginning to get a clearer picture of God. And so, but it's still fuzzy. Okay, everybody following me? These various ways in pieces. God has spoken, but now he's speaking a way that uh, reveals him in a different and fuller way. This picture of God, we remember Moses in the Old Testament, he has this burning bush experience. He goes and, and he meets this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. And God speaks to him and says, uh, he calls him into to service. And he asked, Moses asks him, what's his name? And he says, I am that I am, which is kind of like a circular argument. It really doesn't define his name. And so he says, well, you know, what does that mean? I am that I am. It's like an, are you following me? It's like an un, unbroken circle. It just, it kind of feeds on itself and it just keeps going and going and going. But then in the Old Testament, God gives it this special name, Clarity, 
which is the word I am, which is the word Jehovah in Hebrew, okay, or Yahweh. And so when we approach God and just wonder where God is, God, who are you and what are you like? He's this unbroken circle. I am that I am. I am that I am. But the minute we approach him with need and faith, he, he breaks the circle to meet our need. And he becomes, in the Old Testament, we saw him bring focus to the lens even more. He says, I am Jehovah, which is I am your provider, Jehovah Jireh. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am your healing. And he goes on in all these scriptures, he begins to focus the lens closer. I am Jehovah Nisi, the banner, the strong tower that you need. I am Jehovah Shalom. I am your peace. Jehovah Ra'ah. I am your shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu. I am your righteousness. Jehovah Makadesh, right? All these things, I am the God who sanctifies you. And he goes through these different titles of who he is and reveals himself and Jehovah Shammah is, I am present with you. And so we're seeing a clearer picture. Are you following me? The lens being tightened. We're like, okay, I'm getting a little bit more of a picture of who this God is. But in the New Testament, what this text is telling us, Jesus is the complete revelation of God. He is the full picture of what God would look like if he became flesh. And we know that Jesus even made the unbelievable claim in the book of John that he was the great I am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He literally speaks out loud this word Yahweh. And this was a holy word, like, oh my gosh, you're claiming to be the I am Jesus. And of course, they tried to stone him for that. You know the seven I am's that Jesus spoke. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name spoken under heaven by which a man or a woman can be saved. So are you following me? He is bringing clarity now. You might, people say, well, you know, Buddha and, and Muhammad and Jesus, they're all the same God. They're not. They're not. And so you need to understand, Jesus is clarifying to the world, this is who God is and what he looks like. He was breaking and revealing himself in bits and pieces before, but now God is revealing himself fully through the person of Jesus. The text said in these last days, he has spoken through his son. And that word last days simply means from the time of the writing of that text to the very end of time, there will be no greater or further revelation of God than Jesus Christ. <laughs> he, I mean, it's, he is the Word made flesh. The Bible says he is the Alpha and Omega, which is the, the Greek alphabet. It means he's the beginning and the end. Some texts say he's the A to Z. He's every letter of the alphabet and all the things. Jesus Christ is the express vocabulary of God. Hallelujah. It is the fullness of all that you need to know about God is revealed in Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his character. If God became a man, would he be wiser than Jesus, more compassionate than Jesus, more powerful than Jesus, more humble than Jesus, more captivating, sacrificial, honest, truthful than Jesus? 
God is showing us now the lens is completely focused in and he's saying, guys, this is what God looks like and who he is to you. He's a merciful, gracious, kind Savior. Hallelujah. And he's calling out not just to a Jewish people now, he's calling out to all people. And he's saying, guys, you can have a relationship with God. And so here's this incredible Jesus Christ that's coming into focus, coming into focus for us. You know, it's amazing. The text goes on, Jesus is superior and to everyone who has come before him and all that come after him. That's the truth. He's the final word because he's the God revealed. We know that. The next point is he is superior to everyone and everything because he, before he come, the all that have come after him and come before him. That's what our text said. He became so much more superior to angels than the name he inherited is superior to them. Much more superior. That word, better than or superior, is used 13 times in this book of the Bible. It's one of the great themes of the book. In other words, he is superior to. He is superior to. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to other priests. He was superior to the, all the promises. He's superior to the Old Testament sacrifices. He is superior to every other covenant ever made by mankind. He is superior. This is who Jesus Christ is, amen? And so we're going to go through that as we go through this book. We're going to find out in this chapter that he's superior, superior to angels and the Torah. Now, angels in Deuteronomy 23, 2, uh, they believe, Jewish people believe that the angel of the Lord came down and established the covenant, the first covenant. So they held in high esteem angels. Are you following me? And in some ways, they thought, well, these angels are, are powerful beings, which they are, but they're more important even than humans. And so, but Jesus is making, saying, no, no, no. I'm superior to angels. Hallelujah. This is the first warning we're learning. If Jesus is the final revelation of the Father, superior to the message of angels and all other messengers that came before him, if Israel was called to pay attention to a message sent by angels, how much more should they pay attention to a messenger who is God himself? And so this is the book of Hebrews, the first warning. Guys, pay attention to what Jesus is saying because he is superior to every other angel, every other being in this world. In chapter 3 and 4, we're going to learn that Jesus is superior to Moses and the promised land. Whoo! You know, <laughs> that's awesome because the, the, the group of people thought we had to gather in this certain place, and Jesus is superior to that place, and you need to understand that. And the tabernacle, the building, the place where they would gather, are you following me? The place where they would gather to meet with God, this is, Jesus is superior to that place. Now, why is that important? Because he no longer is gathered to a specific nation or to a specific temple. He is now making his temple your life. Jesus Christ has come in to dwell in every person's heart and life, and he's saying, guys, I can meet you because I am within you. The minute you are born again, the minute you ask Jesus to come into your heart, I will make a tabernacle in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so God is telling us in this chapter 3 and 4, I'm superior to Moses and the promised land. In chapter 5 to 7, Jesus is the high priest. He's superior to any priest who has come before him. He's superior to every other messenger, every other word being spoken. It doesn't matter if you're Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're following Muhammad. Jesus is saying, I am superior. Whoo! 
And so this is the message we're going to learn as we go through this incredible book. Hallelujah. He's morally superior to every other priest. He is sinless. Hallelujah. Where every other priest before him had to deal with their own sins before they could deal with the sins of the people. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm sinless. Therefore, I have a better, more full, more complete. Because he is God. This is so cool. Because he's God, we're going to learn he cannot sin, he cannot lie, and he cannot die. Who doesn't want to put their faith in the guy who cannot die, cannot lie, and is forever, forever, forever your priest? Okay, so we're, I've got eight minutes. Hallelujah. We're going. Hallelujah. We're doing so good. I, I should slow down. I'm just so good. Okay. In chapter 8 to 10, oh my goodness, this is like blow your mind. He is superior in sacrifice and covenant. He's the superior sacrifice made by a superior priest once and for all and for all time. In the Old Testament, guys, we're going to learn this, but I'm going to tell you now, don't say, don't say to those people that missed it, they're going to hear it again. You're like, wow. Okay. In the Old Testament place where the tabernacle of God, they built this, this temple of God, uh, there's no chairs. You've heard me say this before. There's no chairs. That meant that the priesthood's work was continual and never-ending. They couldn't sit down. The sacrifices had to continually be made. But there's only one chair in the temple, only one, and it's called the mercy seat. It's in the Holy of Holies. And when this priest made this sacrifice once and for all, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. You know where he sat? On the only chair. And the only chair is in the holy of holies. He sat down because he was the sacrifice that tore the curtain from top to bottom and exposed us to have a relationship with God all the way. Hallelujah. Amen. So good. And then, and then, I mean, it just keeps going. Chapters 11 to 13, now at the end of this book, though the thread of faith has been all throughout it, chapter 11 is like this command of God, now believe it, trust in it, trust in Him, yield yourself fully and completely to what is going to be said. We're going to learn in chapter 11 that there's a faith that sees the answer and it believes. It's faith that topples kingdoms, a faith that sees the dead raised, a faith that experiences everything. Everybody goes, that's the only kind of faith, isn't there? Well, according to Hebrews 11, there's also a faith that supersedes, a faith that keeps believing even when it doesn't see the answer. It keeps believing. Pastor, I was praying for so long for my loved one, and they didn't get healed. Do you believe? Do you believe? God is saying, oh, we need to say, God, I'm going to believe you. And there's even a faith in the chapter 11 that suffers. Faith that suffers. People are sawn in two. Where's God? Do you think that the Ukraine was praying for their nation? And you're like, where's God? You're like, there's even a faith that suffers. Will you believe me? Oh God, help us to see the fullness of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is superior. Keep trusting and placing your faith in him no matter what. You see, Jesus brings the final word. 
Jesus' word is final because he is God. And Jesus is the superior to all before him and anything that came after him. Let's pray. Father, I'm so excited to be going through the book of Hebrews with this amazing congregation of people. Lord, those that are present with us, those that are watching online, Spirit of the living God, unfold this book in such a way that gives us hope even in the midst of a world that is shaking, shaking, shaking. We have a foundation that cannot be shaken. And so, Lord, call us to trust you and to trust your word, to pour into you and come closer to you in this final hour, Father God. We love you, Lord Jesus. And even this day, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, today our prayer is for all of us just to be open, to heed the warnings of the book of Hebrews, to grow in our love of God and trust of God. So if you're with me, can you just give me an amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.